Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. This is a fun one. Chapter 32 of the book of Exodus, uh, a memorable scene for all of you who are familiar with the movie, The Ten Commandments. Uh, It's the golden calf. And it's such an interesting episode here, uh, not just because uh, it made a great scene in a movie, uh, but because of how how it really fits in with everything we've been talking about. God basically gives Moses these sermons on the Ten Commandments and on the worship life of his people. We've been talking about how the emphasis in a lot of ways has been on the Sabbath. And then we come down the mountain and this is what happens. And we have questions like, now, why did uh, Moses break the tablets? Was he supposed to do that? Was he not supposed to do that? Um, It's a well-known story, but there's kind of a lot of things that maybe there's more to them than we might suppose at first glance. So a lot of good things we'll be talking about today. And joining us, we have as our guest, we got Pastor Joe Cox. He's at Lutheran High School South there in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, though I imagine that things must be pretty interesting around uh, Lutheran High School South and probably most high schools in the area. Uh, good morning, brother. How are you doing? Yeah, what's what, what on earth is going on over there? <laughs> Good morning, Pastor Espinosa. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, yeah, needless to say, uh, life is in an interesting state of flux as sure. we are preparing to roll out the school year. Uh, Lord willing, we're looking to open our doors to the students uh, for the first day of school on August 13th. So oh. we're getting close. Yeah. Right now, I'm up at the school. My classroom is entirely gutted, and so I'm up doing a little bit of construction myself uh, in order to make bigger rooms for some social distancing. And um, ah, right. we're blessed with a donor putting in a, a courtroom for a mock trial team. So we're still trying to move ahead while doing so in a way uh, that is safe and recognizing that in this time of turmoil, ultimately we're called to serve our neighbors and here at Lutheran South. Uh, our closest neighbors are obviously our students and their families as we reach out with the proclamation that God's power is greater than anything this fallen world is going to throw at us. Amen. Amen. Well, and I'm glad to hear that you guys are going forward with uh, in-person classes. And I know that there's a, I mean, there are some legitimate concerns about uh, meeting in person, but I mean, as you were putting it, you know, if we kind of take the broad view of serving our neighbor, well, we don't only serve our neighbors by, you know, bunkering down and staying away from them. I mean, that that is one aspect of it, right? Um, I mean, similarly, right? I mean, there there was a there was a way in which it made sense that the one servant took the talent and buried it in the ground. I mean, that did protect it, right? But right. we're called to do more than to merely protect. Uh, and then there are some other needs that we have as human beings, uh, other than uh, needing to have uh, good hygiene. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, it's a diff- it's a difficult fine line to walk, right? But uh, it's a balance. But I'm glad you guys are. Are going forward, boldly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and in the sense of really trying to be all things to all people, I predict we are going to have some students whose parents are not comfortable with them coming to school, or maybe because of health needs. And so we will be making sure we're doing everything we can to conduct their education as well. So 
I imagine there will be a hybrid of sorts where I may have some students who are still doing distance learning. At the same time, I have students in class. Um, as I said, this thing is in literally a day-to-day flux as we're still looking forward, um, recognizing even the fact that numbers are spiking again and having to be cognizant of that. But I right. think there's some really good procedures that are getting into place now that we're starting to get information um, from the CDC and so forth on, on moving forward. So really want to take um, some of the statements that I think have been floating around quite a bit uh, on Luther's statements uh, when dealing with the plague. And again, serving the neighbor and something that I even had to, to wrestle with myself because hunkering down was my first instinct as well. Sure. Um, but being able to recognize there are people who are in some greater needs and they need to be open to that and simply trusting in the Lord that I'm not going to test God by being silly with my decisions, but on the other hand, trust that he has a plan as I go forward doing the best I can with uh, what he's given me. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's uh, really all, all we, all we can do. Uh, that, that's kind of the nature of commending ourselves to God, right? We, 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 we do what we can to be faithful and we leave the rest to him. Um, I'm not sure if I really have uh, a better segue than this, even though it might be slightly inappropriate. So speaking of plagues, uh, at the end of the <laughs> chapter today, the Lord yeah. sent a plague on the people because they made the golden calf. So uh, there's a connection to our text. I, th- I think we're going to have to address that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, think so. I think I think we will. <laughs> but uh, let's let's uh, there's a whole lot of chapter before we get to that last verse that we want to talk about, too. Uh, sure. So without uh, any further ado, let's get to reading it. And brother, as we do so, would you open this up with a prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence as you reveal yourself through your word this morning. We give you thanks for the proclamation of this word. And Lord, that may sound um, a little bit dangerous because the reality is we're going into a chapter uh, that reflects the faithlessness of your people. And yet hidden in that tale, we find the truth of how unrelenting your love is and how forgiving you are. And so we lay all sins at the feet of the cross, whereby you dealt with all of our faithlessness. We ask, Lord, that you would kindle within our hearts as we explore your word, uh, truth and faith and hope, that you would open us to repentance where it is necessary, that you would increase with us within us the faith in your faithfulness and trust that you will deliver us even through some of the greatest struggles we may face, knowing that whether we wrestle with a lack of physical need or a lack of emotional need, that we have a God who does not leave us alone, but travels with us through that time of desert and has promised us the same resurrection that we see in Jesus Christ and the hope of life eternal in paradise. Help us to cling to that truth when we find ourselves tempted to steer away towards other false promises. All this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I think that, uh, yeah, in your prayer there, that there's some there's some good uh, connections and reflections on uh, how, you know, and uh, thinking about the temptation of why they'd want to do this to begin with. Uh, and how maybe that is a way that we find ourselves in a little bit of a similar or analogous situation. Uh, yeah. 
certainly need to be praying and calling on God's name in that respect. Uh, I do want to go ahead and just get this thing read because I kind of I, I ended up talking too much at the beginning. It's a hazard uh, of of my my personality here. But uh, anything just really briefly that you want to call out or our attention to before we uh, read through the whole chapter. Um, yeah, so if we're going to read through the whole chapter, I want to ask our listeners to pay close attention to a couple of things. And, and the first one is, um, it's easy to write off the Israelites as just simply being thankless, but recognizing that they are in an incredibly um, difficult situation. And Moses has been gone for over a month, and, and so their conclusion is he's not coming back. So recognizing, in a sense, before we write them off, maybe we can have a little empathy for where they are, even if we don't agree with how they respond to their situation. But I also want our hearers to really listen uh, to how Moses lays God's promises before God, and in spite of not only the fact that he's standing before the Lord Almighty— but God really offers Moses something great. He offers him the place of Father Abraham, and yet Moses won't be deterred. And we see hidden in Moses' response a, a bit of a, a redeemer, of an intercessor, who's willing to stand in between the fallen people and their God, clinging to the mercy of God over the judgment of God. And, and I think those are some things to keep in mind even as we see there is still justice that's done at the end of the chapter. Yeah, thanks. Those are some good reflections there. Um, you know, especially, I, I, I really do, I, I tell us people a lot, don't write anybody off, any other characters, as you're reading through the Bible. Take them all seriously. Um, you know, whenever someone says anything, you know, like pay attention to it. Uh, too often, like, like I think kind of to what you were getting at, we, we kind of turn some of the characters into cartoon characters. Um, and, and then when we do that, we just we just fail to understand them or the story or probably how we're too much like them in ways that we don't care to admit. But uh, yeah, so that's very helpful. But let's go ahead then. We'll read it through and then we can talk about kind of some things that maybe popped out at us, uh, things kind of overall. Uh, and then we'll kind of circle back around and start looking at things in detail. But so here it oh. is. We've got Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf in the English Standard Version from the top. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Oh, uh, so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, 
For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he spoke, He had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. And go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. 
Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. That is a lot. And yeah. my guess is there's a lot more in here than what many people are going to remember from uh, some of the Sunday school stories in which they, yeah. you have this, you're not, you're, you're clearly left to understand that the golden calf is not a good thing. Right. And yet uh, you were talking about kind of making characters out of some of the characters in scripture. And I think that almost happens that once again, um, I don't remember the last time I bowed down before a piece of gold shaped into an animal. I'm sure you don't yeah. either. And sure. so it's really easy to think, oh, those backwards people, we would never fall into uh, right. such a silly trap. And we go merrily on our way, in a sense, not only not taking the warnings herein as seriously as we ought, but perhaps even missing out on the depth of the forgiveness that the Lord offers. Yeah, well, you know, certainly, and that, that is really something that you look at this chapter and, you know, you have the, the story, um, and, and there's these moments that you, uh, uh, you know, for, for me, I mean, th especially the way that the ESV translates it, you know, Aaron's uh, response, he's like, you know, out came this calf, you know? I mean, uh, so in, in moments like that, it's kind of hard not to almost laugh, and it's, it feels like, uh, cartoony, but you've got, you know, you've got. It's a very interesting, emotive chapter. I mean, a lot, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, irony. I mean, just all this going on. But you're right. Like so much of the chapter is actually just Moses being this intercessor, and you and you see it in such a strong way here. And he goes so far as to, I mean, like, and I think we don't appreciate this, but this is this is the first time I think in Exodus that this happens, where where actually God puts an offer on the table. He puts this right. offer on the table that's like, hey, Moses, it's okay. You didn't mess up. They did. So I'll wipe them out. We'll start clean. I'll give you some new sons. We'll, we'll start this thing over. I will make you into a great nation. So the offer that I made, Abraham, I'm making to you right now. And, and, and I don't think we appreciate this because Moses takes the offer and turns it down and, and says, actually, God, if you're really going to do that, kill me too. I mean, and, and it's... I mean, it's crazy, really, when we stop and appreciate it, and to the extent that this really foreshadows Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I don't want to fall into the trap of, of trying to play the deconstructionist card too much either, but let's just take that offer. Well, what goes yeah. along with that offer? It's It's Moses losing his sister, who was instrumental in the Lord's plan of rescuing him from the Nile. It's him losing his brother. Um, so he recognizes there's a sacrifice there involved, even though Scripture doesn't get at that. What Scripture gets at, and I, and I think you hit it, the nail right on the head, Moses recognizes that the people are greater than himself. He, he doesn't give in to at least for me, what would be an incredibly prideful moment. The Lord is here ready to, to, to raise me up as the new Abraham yeah, and all yeah. of redemption. Um, but one of the other things that strikes me as interesting is, oh, let's imagine for a moment that Moses has said, yes, Lord, let's, let's, let's do that. Um, what's interesting is you know who you lose is the entire tribe of Judah. 
yeah. from whom comes the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and to whom uh, that promise had already been laid out, uh, even in the sense of uh, when um, Jacob gives the, the final blessings upon his children, and we've already seen a movement towards Judah having um, a place of sorts that's not entirely defined yet. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, again, uh, no, Moses is going to cling to all of the promises of, of God, and, and he trusts that God's promises are right from the start. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we can overlook that enough because it, it's almost— to the depth of Jesus being on the mountain, being shown the nations of the world. And yeah, while this yeah. would have been a false promise from Satan, all this is yours. Um, that's a hard thing to walk away from. Right. Uh, right. No. And, and, and he turns it, and he turns it down and it, it's, um, I mean, I mean, there, there are just not that many moments in scripture that I think that are like that um, outside of, it's just specifically the person of our Lord Jesus, uh, Paul makes a comment um, in one of his epistles, I'm forgetting which one now, uh, that, that kind of is similar to that in its spirit. But, um, I mean, certainly that, that selflessness is uh, is immense here, uh, as you were saying. It's just like being shown the, the kingdoms of the world. Uh, I mean, he, he literally, and especially in a Semitic context, be you know, king as, as the the literal eldest and progenitor, right, of of a, right. Of a whole race. It's just there it is. Um, but yeah, yeah. So so a lot a lot of good things. There's a. I mean, I think there's gonna we're gonna have our hands full just trying to talk about this, and we only got a couple minutes before our break here. But let, let's circle around here back to the beginning and try to get uh, onto some of these details. So, and this is a kind of a question that came up actually, yeah, over Facebook here. Um, so. Uh, let, let, let's talk about this. Who are these gods? Who do they think that they're bowing down to? And in particular, the question online is, do they think they're worshiping Yahweh? Um, which I think is one of the things that uh, is, is a possibility that we kind of really quickly overlook. And we're like, well, why would they Why would they ever think this? But, well, if they think that this is Yahweh, the one who was doing all this, I mean, that, that kind of changes our understanding of this whole story. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of ways of taking this. And number one, um, it's clear, I think it's clear anyway, Aaron almost seems to be doing um, some form of syncretism where he's combining this new God with Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says this, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So we aren't given indication on what, Aaron's motivation is. Let, let's go worst case real quick. Worst case is um, Aaron is all bought in and he's just kind of pulling whatever he can and he's making this up on the fly. Yeah. Perhaps best case is Aaron's scared. And, and oh, yeah. so he's not willing to let go of Yahweh, but maybe hoping that steering some sort of uh, middle ground might in some way not totally lose the people, but on the other hand would um, keep the people at bay, keep them at peace, keep them from rioting, etc. 
where he's mm-hmm. trying to keep the doorway open to Yahweh, and yet he's willing to relent to the will of the people in a way that, that clearly goes too far. Um, right. And then, and why the bull? The bull is very well, much a symbol. I, oh, well, well let's, we, got, we got to take our break here, but I, I do okay. want you to get into that because that's another aspect that is not nearly as arbitrary or random as people think. Um, but already, yes, thank you. Some good thoughts there. What was Aaron trying to do? What was he trying to do with the people here with the golden calf? We'll talk more about this here on Thy Strong. We're looking at Exodus 32. We'll be right back. Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020, KFUO Radio rejoices with our day sponsors, Mark and Cheryl Yonke of Indianapolis, Indiana, as they celebrate their wedding anniversary today. Mark and Cheryl made a gift in thanksgiving to the Lord for His blessings throughout their 42 years of marriage, saying, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him in truth. Psalm 145, 18. Thank you, Mark and Cheryl Yonke, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf. A lot of things going on here. We're going to have to go kind of fast, and we won't have time to answer all the questions. But if you do have a question and you feel strongly about it, I'll tell you what, if you call in, we will talk about it. So 1-800-730-2727. If you're listening live or if you're in St. Louis, perhaps uh, you are going to Lutheran South this fall in less than one month, you can call local 314-821-0850. If you have a question for me or our guest today, you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash Espinosa. And uh, yes, and then uh, we will try uh, our guest here, uh, Pastor Joe Cox at Lutheran High School South there in St. Louis, Missouri. 
to uh, take a stab at your question, but uh, we were just kind of already talking about this first question, though. Just you know, what did what did they think they were doing here uh, with this with this bull, and especially with Aaron, you know, saying in verse five, right? We we kind of totally overlook this. It says, um, where is it here? It's in, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, so there is in verse five. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And, and we, we overlook it, but that's all caps. That's Yahweh. So Aaron's presenting right. it as, hey, we're, we're worshiping Yahweh still. Um, and, and we think to ourselves, but hang on, how are they doing that if there's a bull? Uh, but, but Joe, I think you were going to get to this point. A bull is not nearly as surprising or random as we would guess. In fact, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's very logical that they would pick this. Right. Um, and, and let me preface this, too, by saying archaeology um, throughout the ages uh, of uh, the people of Israel living in uh, Canaan has turned up numerous instances, as depicted in Scripture, where you have this mixed worship where Yahweh—you'll you'll find little icons that, that match uh, uh, Yahweh with the local gods, where people participate in this mixture of worship. That's not to say that's, that's what they're supposed to be doing, but we do have this evidence— um, archaeologically as well as in the text of God's Word here. When you have the bull, um, what you're dealing with is a couple of things. Number one, this is um, a symbol that's often attributed to some sort of fertility worship in a number of different religions, including out of Egypt. Um, But what you also have, it seems, is there's a connection to and you can start playing with the pantheon in Egypt. Um, mm. But the son of Hathor, and, and this is a goddess who is connected to goodness and bounty. And remember, the people are, have already been complaining, um, you know, why did God bring us out here? If we could go back to slavery, at least there we had something to eat and so forth. And so you have that on one hand, and, and now I know I'm reaching too far, uh, but looking forward, you're also going to have that bull show up again as a symbol of Baal, um, who's going yes. to be a constant contention for the people hundreds of years from now in Scripture. And, and so it pulls together in an interesting way, not just that moment, but that constant desire uh, of having goodness and fertility and provision, and we're going to go wherever we can to get it. Right. A last quick little note, too, is I don't think we want to overlook where the gold came from. Specifically, um, it's from the earrings that are provided. And remember, it's right at the beginning of Exodus 21, just after Moses has given uh, the Ten Commandments to the people, that God talks about what it means to be a slave, and if a person chooses to serve as an indentured servant, a bond servant, they're going to have a hole bore in their ear. Um, and so again, maybe I'm doing a little bit too much with it, but it seems interesting to me uh, that, in a sense, by taking out the earring, are, are they rejecting their servitude toward Yahweh? Hmm. Um, yeah. That, That's again, really, I think I need to do yeah. a little more work with that. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm glad that you see. See, it's it's details like that though that I think that we we're just missing out when we don't stop and ask ourselves. Now, why would it be that, right? Or like, what might it mean? And, and I think it's a good first step to at least consider it. Um, I mean, right. it is 
it is it is interesting that he's specific because he's giving them direction right and, and yeah. we might want to consider like to what extent he's just making this up off the seat of it by the seat of his pants or, or whether he's kind of going off of something that he learned uh there in egypt you know i mean i mean it's interesting because god seems to have picked aaron out um as the the able speaker when moses declined that job uh, so, you know, why was he an able speaker? Like, well, is it because he was well-versed in, you know, Egyptian rhetoric and religion? And, you know, so, I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that we, we might fill in the blank there. But so uh, it is interesting to consider, like, what, what might be behind that. But uh, I, I just wanted to pick up on what you were saying about uh, the bull. Uh, yeah, Because, yes, you're right. There, there's a lot of bull imagery in Egyptian uh, religion. Um, I think you mentioned the son of Hathor. Uh, the, what I'm more familiar with is that the, the cow just in general shows up again and again and again um, in Egyptian mythology as a sky goddess. And we, we don't make that connection very naturally ourselves. But Egyptian mythology, for people who do any of this kind of comparative uh, mythology or religion stuff, uh, Egyptian mythology kind of stands out because they don't have an earth goddess with a sky god, they have a sky goddess with an earth god. Um, and, and a lot of religions just don't do it that way. But for them, when they looked up at the night sky, that was, um, I mean, th- those were the udders of the heavenly cow giving the milk that, that I, I mean, like uh, nourished the pantheon. Uh, th- that's how they thought of it. And so like all of these goddesses that they had, whether it was Hathor or uh I think Nut or uh, Tefnut or um, uh, there's a few others. They they all kind of like blur together this way, which is um, <clears throat> intriguing. Then for when there was a livestock uh, plague in, in the plague sequence, it seems to be targeted right. against uh, Egyptian sky goddesses, um, uh, just particularly. Uh, but then to to your point, you know, so is is that what's going on? Maybe that this is uh, well, they're like well. You know, like we learned this in Egypt, so you know this is this is what we want to do. Um, I, I think it's possible, but I actually like your your second suggestion about Baal more, and and I think that seems kind of weird because it's like, well, now hang on a second, they've been in Egypt, so how would they even know about Baal? Well, I mean, th- there's some there's some Canaanite memory, right? I mean, presumably they're speaking some kind of Canaanite right now, right? When God's like carving this stuff, and it's not Egyptian hieroglyphics, but it's Canaanite. So they've hung on to some kind of Canaanite identity. And so what, what I personally like as, a, as an explanation is that they're like, well, gosh, okay, Moses isn't coming down. Guys, do you remember anything about Canaan? Like any of the stories, anything that we heard? Like, well, actually, back in Canaan, they, they used to do. And, and so they're like piecing together whatever they can remember collectively. And, and what would it be? Well, it'd be Baal worship that dominated all of Canaan, whether you were a Moabite or an Edomite or whatever. Uh, and this is going to be a problem just again and again, as you were saying, throughout the Old Testament, confusing Baal and Yahweh. Right, right. Um, and, and when you go there, too, and then we start, and again, we don't want to move on Baal, but I mean, the interesting thing is that Baal itself is a word for husband, for which is what the Lord is supposed to be to his people, Israel. And so yeah. I don't think it's an accident, um, even as we see the satanic forces at work uh, of this confusion between the two and a, an attempt to redirect the people away from the truth, that as soon as times get a little bit bad, 
um, and the Lord seems to be slow in his work, we're really quick to look elsewhere for salvation, yeah. however we're defining it at that moment. Well, well, and that's and that's a tricky thing, right? Because to them, right, they they wouldn't have put it as they were looking elsewhere, um, that they were looking in the right direction. Uh, I mean, because right. you think about it too. One of the things I noticed when we were going over the plague sequence, uh, when when God speaks to Moses and he's giving those uh, those directions about Passover, he says, "I will cross over to Egypt." Um, and, and that's something, not something I'd noticed before, but the implication is that he is coming down from Canaan. I mean, I mean, like the land where they all, like where he wants them to be, the land they was taking him. Um, I mean, it could, it could just be, you know, Mount Horeb, but I mean, he's coming from this other direction, this Canaan direction in any case down to Egypt. So for their, for their part, they think to themselves, well, we know that God's from that general direction here right so so they, they are like well hey we're, we're we're piecing together things the best we can um you know of course you know the gods of egypt were defeated so we're going to worship a, a non-egyptian god we're going to you know Baal, and you know Baal. um to your point it means husband god said that he is a jealous god he didn't he say that um in the commandments uh for that matter it also means master uh mm-hmm. which um is of course a synonym for the word lord um, I mean, just the actual word, Lord, not Yahweh. So, right. I mean, in a lot of ways, they would have said, hey, looking in a different direction, we're we're not looking in a different direction. We're kind of piecing things together the best we can. And that's just, it, I think, shows you the danger of how easy it is to fall in this kind of temptation. Don't we do this all the time that we say, oh, no, no, I'm not really doing anything different from what the Bible said or what my pastor said. I'm I'm just, you know, putting things together the best I can in my circumstances or uh, the best I can for my situation. Right. Absolutely. Um, And and I do think it's significant that the only God named is Yahweh here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. So there is no other name given, even though, especially from the reader's perspective, clearly this golden calf is a form of idolatry and isn't Yahweh. Um, Yeah, there's, like I said, this interesting melding together of the two and the delineation from the big perspective is easy to see the golden calf is not the Lord. And yet from the people's perspective, there's a melding together uh, that I think would lead to a lot of debate. If somebody just came in and said, what are those guys doing? At least until yeah. Moses shows up. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, certainly. Um, yeah, I know it, it's difficult. And then actually, so last, last point on this question, I mean, to what extent would, would Aaron and the people, could they have even legitimately thought that maybe this was okay? Um, is is there a, is there a way that they could have looked at Exodus twenty and said, well, what what God was saying was that you would have no other gods, uh, you know, before Him, right? And so He didn't say anything right. about building an, an idol for Himself. He just said that we couldn't build idols to worship uh, these these other gods. Uh, I, I mean. It really, to think about it, the absolute prohibition against any kind of idol, even an, even a Yahweh idol, I mean, was very radical for their context. Um, although, and I agree, but they did get the specific command, you shall not make for yourself a carved image yeah. or any likeness of anything in heaven. There, there's the sky um, aspect. Uh, or that that it's on the earth beneath or in the water below and not bow down and serve with them. So there is a clarity that they are disregarding. Um, 
does Moses or sorry, does Aaron know what's wrong? Well, he sure seems to when Moses shows up. Because <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah, no, and I and I think that that that's actually where it's where it's clearest here, right? Because um, Aaron, he doesn't actually just go and uh, go along uh, with with the calf, right? But there, there's a second offense that Aaron commits, uh, which right. is with the altar, uh, because it says now where did, where does it go here? Uh, it, it's there in it says something about like him engraving on the altar. What verse is that? It was, uh, let's um, see. Receive the gold from your hand fashion of the grieving tool. That's verse four. Okay, um, built an altar before yeah, verse five. It. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Yeah, I, yeah. And there's, I feel like there's like somewhere on there that it said like he something something about the. Okay, I, I for I'll, I will find it. But it was it was there actually in Exodus twenty. Um, specifically afterwards, it, God goes on and says, "So don't even uh, engrave." Uh, an altar because that's too much like an idol, right? So, I mean, he, he goes and really does spell it out. And so it's, as you're saying, it's very hard to say that, that, that like Aaron was like actually innocent and all this. I mean, even the fact actually, and we're over kind of overlooking this too. The other um, uh, thing that comes out in this, in this text here um, is that the, the, one of the other people who's talked about as engraving things is God, God's the right. one who engraves the tablets, and and there's there's almost I mean there's a suggestion anyway that the reason why God engraved the tablets is so that they wouldn't, because if they had engraved the tablets, that would be too much like they made idols, and and so and so like it's it's actually so clear that you guys don't do this stuff, um, that they really they really are without excuse, and and, and Aaron's excuse though is right well. Well, but I mean, you know, Moses, they were dead set on this. I wasn't going to be able to stop them. At least, at least I could kind of steer them in the right direction, right? At least, at least, isn't it better that, that they kind of worship Yahweh like a little bit than like not at all? Now, it's, now that's actually, I feel like a line of reason that we hear a lot today. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I would even, I would even give Aaron more credit had that been what he tells Moses. Um <laughs> <laughs> I uh, see the golden and the calf just came out like this. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I can just yeah, imagine yeah. Moses, you know, just stopping and looking at him, and 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 and, and Aaron kind of looking at the ground, and yeah. you know, yeah. how stupid do you think I am? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. So, so, so clearly he's. Um, yeah, I mean, you talk, you talk about like you know embellishing accounts. He, he, he is he is definitely painting himself a little bit. Uh, nobler portrait than he, he really deserves here, uh, but but it is interesting that the argument that's kind of you know buried in there. This idea where where, where is it where does it say that here? Um, yeah, it's in verse twenty two. Uh, Let not the anger of my lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. Um, right. So you know when he when he goes and he says that the implication is like I wasn't going to be able to stop him. So I, I, I mean I do think he is implicitly making the argument that he is trying to. Uh, at least kind of shape or kind of funnel it in a not as terrible yeah. direction. Right. Which I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, since we're talking about high school, I feel like this gets brought up when it comes to like sex ed. Right. Um, this first thing I thought of, well, especially since there's a lot of sexual like innuendo here uh, or implications in the text. Uh, we didn't talk right. about that, but like that bit there about, um, you know, they rose up to play. Um, that's a, that's a little bit of euphemism there. Uh, for what was going and on. Once again, Aaron's held responsible for that verse 25, that he allows them to do that. 
Yeah, yeah, br- to break break loose. Uh, that's another little bit of a right. euphemism too. But like, it's to your point. If they're worshiping a fertility, they're worshiping a Canaanite fertility god whose symbol is a bull. Right. There is there there is sort of one thing that goes along with that in terms of pagan rituals, right? I mean, I mean, so it was it was an orgy that was going on there, um, and and it's trying to you know the text is trying to be a little modest without spelling all of that out, but that's what's going on, and of course you know I mean just for if nothing else the sixth commandment. Aaron and all the people should have known better. Uh, but, th- but there's, but there's Aaron's argument like, Hey, but you know, they're going to do this stuff anyway. So shouldn't we at least be safe and responsible? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, sorry. Was that, was, is that, is that, is that it's just, I'm just dumping too much right in your lap. No, right no, no, I, that, actually, that's a, I hadn't thought about it from that position, but that, uh, that actually works well. Where I was going with this is, uh, when that text says Aaron lets them break loose to the derision of their enemies, yeah. and the very argument Moses held before the Lord was, what would the Egyptians say that you brought them out just to kill them? And, and yeah. it would reflect badly on you. And, and, and here that whole thing kind of ties together. I mean, there's, there's a very intense intricacy uh, that's involved here. And again, the balance between the engraving that you mentioned, um, yeah. even to the point that when the Lord informs Moses what's happening in uh, verse 9, uh, he refers to the people as a stiff-necked people, uh, like ox that you're trying to uh, put the yoke on and they're unwilling to relent. And ironically, the, the same exact phrase that's Stephen uses in his trial before the Sanhedrin, uh, just before he becomes the first martyr of Christendom, as he's accusing the Jewish leaders of being just like their fathers, always resisting uh, the prophets. Yeah, it really is something, too. We talked about it last time, how you've got these two... um, men of the tribes of Judah and Dan and how, you know, they're these craftsmen. And we were kind of saying how, well, you know, Judah's associated with, you know, faithfulness, um, you know, the temple worship, you know, not the places of idolatry and the rest of Israel, especially Dan, which was associated with idolatry. There really is something, right? Like you were saying at the beginning, uh, there wouldn't have been a Judah if God hadn't shown mercy here because Judah went along with the idolatry just as much as any of the other 12 tribes. All the tribes committed adult, uh, this adultery uh, with God, this spiritual adultery of idolatry. Um, and when I talk about then, there, there is kind of one group that sort of sticks out in this account uh, since we're kind of like on our last year, like eight minutes or so, the, the aftermath of all of this, the Levites are singled out as the ones who carry out the punishment, who uh, just take the sword and they go around. And I mean, I mean, I, I guess I don't know if, if, uh, if, the, if the, this orgy is still going on and they're just going around and just killing people, but, but it's 3,000. Uh, this is quite the punishment even uh for this for this offense here and it's not even the last one right because the plague is still to come so i mean what what do you what do you make of of levi carrying this out and how it's levi that gets singled out and then how many uh, end up dying 
Yeah, so I think there's there's a number of things that are going on here, and I don't think it's an accident that with Levi, um, you have, in a sense, the priesthood, those who have been set apart, consecrated by God for the purpose of, of making those atonement sacrifices of the animals, pointing ahead to the true atonement that's in Christ. Um, and, and I'll even tie in just briefly so we don't totally skip it. I know we're running short on time, but but Moses breaks the commandments, break, shatters those, those yeah. tablets. That's right. Uh, what a perfect representation of exactly what the people are doing. Yeah. They are breaking. You know, in a sense, we talk about something like uh, divorce, since we're making this connection of, of adultery and so forth, that uh, when, when Christ is asked about this in Matthew, and, and he talks about... Um, the only uh, legitimate reason for divorce, so to speak, is is adultery. Well, because the very act of sin itself is what broke the relationship. Yeah. It's not they, the they judge broke, making the decree right, that's that the breaks the use. relationship. Yeah, and, and so that becomes a very physical manifestation of these people have shattered uh, the very covenant, the commandments that God has set forth, and now it's the people set apart by God, or the Levites, for the purpose of restoring the people, and they do so. They do so with a blood sacrifice, if you will. Um, yeah. In this case, I don't think the sacrifice itself, as much as looked at as atonement, so much as just straight penalty— yeah. Um, however, Moses does say in verse 29, today you've been ordained for the service, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother. Yeah. So he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. And so there's a sacrifice too. It's, it's even if we want to argue, and I think it's appropriate that this is a sense of the Lord has commanded me to do this. This is righteous vengeance on behalf of the Lord at divine command to kill my son and to kill my brother. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the angel of the Lord doesn't show up when they are really close. And, he's, right. and they say, and they stop Levi, hold your sword. I see that you love me. No, nothing. Right. God lets it happen. Absolutely. And even afterwards, Moses now says, now I'll go up and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Yeah. Um, well, which yeah. is just really interesting, I think, like on on the big picture, because it gets to a, a theme that that we that we have been, I think, struggling with uh, collectively. This notion of forgiveness and temporal punishment, because um, it, it's been said, and uh, I think I've even said things that are similar. Uh, that, for instance, the plague that we now have is is punishment from God. Um, and then there are some people who say, no, no, no. How can that be? Because Christ took the punishment. So. Are you denying Christ? And that—that's that, that, kind of how this, you know, argue, it's not really an argument, right? When people are talking past each other, though. Uh, but, right, exactly. but, but, but that—that's that, what people end up saying. But I, I think this is a good illustration of it here. God does forgive the people. Is is the is the clear picture here? Uh, because him not forgiving the people is him wiping them out entirely. Uh, but he doesn't do that. It says that he relents. So the, the fact that he does this, that there is forgiveness, does not nullify at the end uh, that there is still punishment. And, and this, is a, this is a hard concept that gets messed up all the time. But all of the, the bad things that we experience, they are a consequence of sin. And we can say accurately that they're a just consequence 
of, of sin, uh, just punishment of sin. Now, we can't go and say like, oh, well, like, you know, uh, this thing I'm suffering through right now is because I ate too much sugar yesterday and I sinned, right? I mean, we there's we're not right. going to like, you know, put together these things one to one, like some kind of code book with authority. But uh, it is it's not unfair. Or it's not inaccurate to say that even though there is forgiveness, there's still these natural consequences. And yeah, punishment's not an unfair word um, to our actions. And I think it's appropriate to separate consequence from punishment also. Consequence is kind of the natural conclusion of my activity. If I choose to jump out the window of the second floor building and I break my arm, yeah, that wasn't my punishment. That's just the consequence of stupidity. Um, however, well, I would say it's God the, punishing your stupidity too, though, <laughs> <laughs> or at least allowing I, it to happen. Sure. But, but as opposed yeah. to the police officer showing up and giving me the ticket, sure. Yeah, the no ticket wasn't the direct consequence of the action. Sure. But it is punishment that happens. And yeah, that's fair. Um, in the same way, when we have forgiveness and, and from time to time, I'll have to do this as a teacher, and I think this is a good illustration. I'll have a student, perhaps, whom I catch um, not submitting work that is his or her own. We'll just say uh, that Of way. course, yeah. And I will not give credit for that. There will be consequences or punishment for that. But when that student and I have that conversation, when I'm done with that conversation, what I say is, now we're done. This this. The punishment still holds, but we're leaving that in the past. I will not judge you. I will not. I'm not going to look at you tomorrow and think, "Oh, that person's a cheater." You and I are going to have a restored relationship, and I am not going to hold this over you for the extension of the time you and I are working together. And forgiveness is that restoration of the relationship that doesn't push aside the punishment. But when either the punishment or the consequence happens, let us ask ourselves. Is the Lord trying to get our attention? And if so, what what is it in my life that I should address? Even That's if I don't right. know for certain this plague is directly as punishment for the Lord for X, I know how I've been called to conform my life to His calling. Let me take this as an opportunity to do so. That's right. It's it's a wake up call, and in that respect, it's it's merciful that we would not go further down. A road that would surely lead to even worse things. But yeah, so certainly, you know, Moses is a type of Christ uh, pointing ahead to the forgiveness we have in Christ, even despite the suffering in this life. Thank you, brother, for breaking this chapter down with us. And yeah, blessings on the school year. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for being on, everybody. Pastor Joe Cox at Lutheran High School South in St. Louis, Missouri, going on to Exodus 33 next time. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.